And if you haven't been here with us, uh, as always, we've got CDs. You can go to our website and you can listen to any of the previous messages from our Jonah series. Uh, Josh Tandy, our student pastor, is going to continue uh, in Jonah chapter 3 with us today. I'll wrap us up next week uh, with Jonah chapter 4. But if we ta- as we take our offering this morning, let's welcome Josh as he comes. So Jonah chapter 3. It's this little, little short chapter in this little short book in the back of your Old Testament. And if I could sum up these ten verses with just one sentence, it would be, when we are obedient to God, God does things. When we're obedient to God, God does things. But but thankfully, uh, maybe you're not thinking thankfully, I have a little more time, and God has given us this incredible story that we get to dive into in Jonah. It's a story that is outlandish at times. It's a story that is humorous at times. It's a story that is ridiculous And that's why we keep telling it, because it's so incredible. Jonah chapter 3 starts out in a very interesting way. Jonah chapter 3 starts out with our main main character, Jonah, adrift at sea. In my mind, Jonah is floating there on the surface of the the Mediterranean Sea, just off the coast, and and maybe he's he's tangled up in some seaweed, or maybe he's there's some some other like debris floating around him because Jonah has just been thrown up by a whale, by a great fish, by a Billy Bass, by a floating Buick, by something in the water that swallowed him, has, has spewed him up onto the shore. And so this is an image that, uh, that I, uh, I have a hard time getting out of my head. This is an image, this, this guy Jonah being vomited up by a whale. Now, you, you may think, well, this is Josh, he's the student pastor. Of course he's going to be talking about vomit. But the thing about vomit is that the older you get, the more repulsive it gets. Now, when you have a, a small infant, when they have spit up, you have little burp rags that, to wipe their mouth and clean them all up, and it's kind of a cute thing almost. And as they get a little older, I remember when I would get sick at home, Mom would always take care of me as I got sick. I was very sympathetic, and she would take that, that warm rag, that wet rag, and put it on my forehead, and she would bring me Sprite and, and crackers, and I would get to watch TV all day. Like, like, but as, as you get a little bit older... As you get a little bit older, suddenly it kind of loses a little bit of that charm. I remember the first time, uh, and I'm sorry, honey, I didn't think about telling the story until just now, but I remember the first time I saw my wife, my now wife, we were dating at the time, get sick. I was, I was visiting her in Ohio. I was at her home. I think it was over Christmas break when we were in college. And Heidi was, was on the floor, just completely sick, like just she had eaten something that was apparently bad, and it was not agreeing with her. And so she is laying on the floor. And, and uh, I walk in there. We had only been dating a few months at this time. And, and so I didn't really know what my role was. And I walk in. I say, Heidi, is there anything I can do for you? She says, no, just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. And so I didn't see her for the rest of the night. And so vomit or getting sick kind of loses that charm the older we get. And so if we can imagine what it would be like for Jonah to be floating into this pile of vomit and getting washed up onto the shore, it's pretty disgusting. It's pretty vivid. I mean, if you think about it, if he was residing in the stomach of something for that period of time, for three days, for 50, 60, 70 hours, you have to accept that the, the stomach acid would be doing a number on his skin. And you have to think to yourself that floating in salt water wouldn't feel very good. And you have to think that being washed up onto a sandy shore wouldn't feel very good. I don't like to get sand on skin that's normal, let alone skin that's broken out and blistered. But this is what Jonah, this is where he's at. And this is what's happened to him. And he's laying there on the beach, and all of a sudden God speaks to him. 
Now, if you haven't been following along, if you don't know where, where we're at, if you're jumping right in the middle of this story, you probably need to know that, that Jonah was a guy that had his life pretty figured out. That Jonah had some things going for him that were great, and he was taken care of. But all of a sudden, God called Jonah to this big thing, to go to Nineveh, the enemy city, the, the capital of this empire that was, that was right on their doorstep, and to preach the gospel. But Jonah didn't want to do that. And so instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah goes the opposite direction, gets on a boat for a year-long journey in the other way. And so Jonah's on this boat, and all of a sudden God sends a storm, because sometimes when we're disobedient to God, God sends a storm in our life. And this storm is so severe that the, the sailors on the boat, these pagan sailors, end up actually turning to God in the process of figuring out what the storm's all about. But as a, as a way to kind of deal with the storm, Jonah tells them, just throw me overboard. And so they throw him overboard. But God provides uh, Jonah with a whale, with a great fish, with something that swallows him, and Jonah resides in there for about three days. And then so all of chapter 2 is, is Jonah in this whale, and Jonah kind of having this repentance moment, this kind of coming back to God time where he is suddenly realizing the error of his ways, and his heart is turning back towards God, and God decides to tell the whale to throw up Jonah on the sea. So Jonah is vomited up, washed up on shore. And he arrives there. And the whole idea with, with Jonah is that uh, there's a lot of surprising things that happen to Jonah in his life. And we talked about in week one that we shouldn't be surprised when God calls us. Don't be surprised when God calls you because He's going to call you. Don't be surprised when God calls you because if we think that that life is going to be straight and narrow, we're, we're very much mistaken. That following Jesus, that following God is a, is a path that's going to take us a lot of different directions. And so, with that in mind, if you could open up to Jonah chapter 3, I want to read the first two verses. Remember that Jonah's now on the shore. He's, he's been, been in a whale for three days. And he's covered in vomit. <laughs> but verse 1 of chapter 3 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim proclaim to it the message I gave you. So Paul, Paul kind of ended with this last week, that our God is a God of second chances. That Jonah had run, Jonah had, had just done everything to avoid this call. He finally gets washed up on shore, and here again is the same exact message. One, oh, oh, right, right again, God's putting it in front of him. It's the same thing. Nothing's really changed. And I can imagine Jonah, if I was going to step into his shoes for a moment, where he's sitting there on shore, probably just thankful to be alive, but pretty miserable. And all of a sudden God speaks to him and he thinks, really? I, I thought like the whale was enough. Like I, I didn't go through enough with that that I now have to still go to Nineveh and preach this. I still have to go into enemy territory and tell them about you. This, this doesn't really seem fair. I, I, I thought that I thought I kind of paid my due here. Like I get it. Like I was supposed to follow you. Like can it be like go home and lay in bed for a week? Because that's what I really like to do. But God comes to Jonah and says, no, you're... Your mission isn't done. Your, 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 your goal hasn't been met. And sometimes I feel that we can identify with that. We come off a, a hard season of life and things start to turn around and, and we feel that maybe things are looking up and all of a sudden God puts a challenge in front of us or all of a sudden hardship comes again. Like we know what it's like where we feel like nothing else bad could happen, but then it does. And I think that Jonah could identify with this, that he has is, he is run, he's been adrift at sea, he's been swallowed by a fish, he's been thrown up by the fish, and now he's laying on the shore, and God says, oh, by the way, that impossible task that I put in front of you is still right there. It's still right there. Because 
If God is the God of second chances, we have to believe that we never reach a point of completion. That there's no retirement age in the kingdom of God. There's no pension plan that we can start drawing from. There's no, there's no point where we're suddenly done with God's mission. Because if we believe that God is putting the world back the way it should be, is grabbing people and entering into their lives and restoring them to how they should be and doing that with, with creation and everything around us and the people around us, then ultimately we have to say that the job's not done. In the, in, the, in the 20th century, the American military realized that they were sometimes confusing things on the battlefield. And when a commander would give an order, he would often write out the order. And they, they realized that, that instead of trying to be so specific in their orders, they needed to become more generalized. Because in an effort to be so detailed and so specific, they were, they were kind of confusing things. And so they came up with this idea called the commander's intent. And so at the top of every written order would be the commander's intent. The big idea that the, that the unit, the whatever, was supposed to accomplish. And so there would be details below of how to possibly achieve that intent, but that intent was really all that mattered. And I think God works with this in a similar way. He's saying that we're supposed to be putting things back together. We're supposed to be telling people about, about God, about Jesus Christ. That is the point. And until we reach that, we're not done yet. And so that's where Jonah's at. So Jonah is being faced with another another task that he had run from. He's being faced with the challenge that he wanted nothing to do with, and he's on the shore just being washed up. Continuing verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Now we're not real sure where Jonah washed up on shore. We can take some guesses. And the guesses that we can take is that Jonah was probably about 500 miles from Nineveh when he finally woke up on the shore. 500 miles. And Jonah heads off for Nineveh. 500 miles from here is about to Washington, D.C. So Jonah was walking the distance from Indy to D.C. on foot, on a camelback, through the desert. So if you figure that he travels for for about 20 miles a day, which would be, I think, pretty generous for someone that's just been thrown up by a whale, through mostly desert, you're talking about two weeks. You're talking about a two-week period where Jonah has to travel. And on this journey, I think it's safe to think that if you look at the geography, he would be moving closer to home for a good portion of that, that trip. That as he's going to Nineveh, he would actually be walking closer to home. So maybe let's say three days in, he's on this journey, he's headed this direction, and all of a sudden he starts to recognize things around him. He starts to recognize towns, and and he starts to recognize people on their way to, to maybe his hometown. And Jonah again has to make this decision. Do I still go on to Nineveh? Because ultimately, if we're going to be obedient to God, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for us to turn around. There's going to be plenty of opportunities for us to go the opposite direction. There's going to be plenty of, us, plenty of opportunities for us to change our plans. But Jonah, through this maybe two-week period, had to continually make the decision to be obedient to God. He had to, be, he had to be constantly making this decision that I'm going to keep going. And as he makes this decision, as he continues to say, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to follow God in this, he becomes a tool of God's grace. Our obedience allows us to become tools of God's grace. That God can do whatever He wants to do, but He chooses 
to partner with us to bring about love, to bring about grace, to bring about the kingdom in this world. And Jonah, this guy, walks into Nineveh. He's being obedient, and he shows up and he preaches. And he preaches an eight-word sermon, which maybe you're thinking is a great idea. Maybe you think that we should employ that here. But Jonah preaches an eight-word sermon to the city of Nineveh. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, actually, in Hebrew, it's five words. And so this guy walks around with a five-word sermon that he just says over and over and over again. Now, this isn't the best PR move in terms of a sermon. Hey, in 40 days, it's, this is all going to be gone. In 40 days, it's all going to be overturned. In 40 days, this is over. So, so uh, do what you want with that. It's very clear about what's going to happen, but there's no real point of saying, there's no real part where he says, this is what you're supposed to do in, in response to that. Jonah doesn't exactly go in with the best communication model. If you're, if you're a teacher and you just say, and just say um, you know what? At the end of this week, you're going to fail the test. And that's all you said? That's kind of what Jonah was saying. If you, if you just walked into your, your workplace and you had somebody underneath you and you just said, hey, uh, Tuesday, we're going to fire you. You know, that's kind of what Jonah is doing here. He's just coming in with a completely negative, just saying this is over. He doesn't really tell them what they're supposed to do uh, in response to that. And so I think that what we can learn from that is that God doesn't need us to be highly trained. God doesn't need us to be incredibly competent to do His work. That God can use an eight-word sermon that is so negative, that is so in your face, that is really incomplete to still do His work. You know, maybe you think to yourself, you look at that connection card, and you say, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to offer to serve here. I, there's nothing I can do to really enhance this community. All, you're wrong. Because, because with God using you in this little way of serving for an hour on a Sunday morning here, if you're obedient, then God will use that. And sometimes we kind of sell ourselves short with that. And, and I think that sometimes uh, that we don't even understand what we're doing, that we don't understand the impact that it might have, and I don't think Jonah understood it either. Because the Hebrew word for overturn has two meanings. It might have the meaning that, that I first thought of and you first thought of, that complete destruction, completely destroyed, completely just, just gone, just completely out of the picture. But it can also mean complete repentance, complete change, transformation. And so as God gave this message to Jonah, he had this dual meaning in here. And I think that Jonah expected destruction, that Jonah expected things to be just completely completely gone by the time he was done preaching. But what happens? Repentance happens. The people of Nineveh decide to turn towards God. And it's hard for us to understand how shocking this would be, that Nineveh, this capital city, this kind of central place of the empire of evil, this, this, just this place that is just built on fear and destruction, turning towards God. And not just turning towards God in a, in a, in a way that just kind of gives a nod to it, but completely fasting, but completely taking on a physical response to an inward change to fast for 40 days to put on sackcloth this very irritating clothing that that demonstrated that you were in mourning that just kind of take this this posture of saying that we are wrong and we're going to spend 40 days kind of sitting in that until we realize that we need to change our lives and so that is what has happened that that the city of Nineveh is completely turned on its head now this story, the story of Jonah kind of has everything. It has the, the outlandish claims of the whole city being turned to God. It has the, the vivid imagery of, of someone being spewed up by a fish or a whale. And it even has some humor in it. And, and in verse 6 kind of starts some of this humor of chapter 3. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, 
he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion. Turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So I read that verse, and and I don't have a lot of context there. I I didn't really grow up on a farm. I wasn't around a lot of animals growing up. So I need need someone to help me out. Has has anyone ever grown up on a farm, spent a lot of time around livestock or anything like that? I'm not going to call you up front. I just need, need some help. Yeah, Monty, right there. Monty, Monty, you, what kind of animals did you grow up around? Okay, okay, Monty, was, was it ever your job to feed the cows or the hogs? Okay, what would happen if you didn't feed them? What would the animals do? They wouldn't stay in their pen. They'd probably get pretty loud. And so here we have this, this kind of humorous picture of saying, don't feed or drink, don't feed or don't give any water to these animals for 40 days. And even put sackcloth on them. And if you can imagine how the animals would probably just start freaking out and start making all kinds of noise, it says that, that a herd of cattle can be heard from a mile away if they, they miss their meal by like two hours. They just start making all kinds of noise. But maybe that doesn't really fit our kind of paradigm very well. And, and, and I thought about, thought about children. I don't have any kids of my own, so I need somebody else. Who has, who's got some kids here that like to play along here? Who's got some kids? That, okay, yeah, what would happen if you didn't feed your kids? What would happen if you missed Skip dinner tonight? Yeah, yeah, they, they would, there would be like a little bit like a little coup attempt. There would be some anarchy going on, like, like the kids would say, you know, we're not doing this, we're getting in the fridge. Like, like, so can you imagine here for 40 days saying, no one eats, no one drinks anything, and you're going to wear this irritating kind of camel hair cloak, and you're going to sit in the dust. Like this is the most complete and most, most severe way you can turn towards God. Like, we're going to embrace any physical aspect we possibly can to show that we were wrong. And so the king here is a lot like the sailors in chapter 1. The sailors in chapter 1, if you don't remember, were these pagan guys that were just that were working a boat, and all of a sudden the storm comes up, and they start calling out to every god they can think of for their salvation. They call out to, to the gods they follow, to the gods they've heard about, and they, they even go to Jonah and say, call out to your own god so that he might have mercy on us. So all this is going on, and, and, the, and through the process, the pagan sailors start to call out to Jonah's God because they realize that's the God that's in control. The same thing happens with the king, a pagan king, the kind of the controller, the point person, the face of this evil empire turns to God in such a severe way that he gives up everything about his empire. His empire is built on power. He tells them to turn away from violence. His empire is built on wealth, probably, so he tells them not to feed their animals. His empire is built on the people. He tells them to starve for 40 days. And this very, very move right here, the king of Assyria, the king of Nineveh, completely, completely turns towards God. And it was messy, and it was hard, and it was difficult, but he makes a decision to be obedient. And so maybe the best example I can think of would be if a government decided to completely scrap a defense budget. If the government would completely decide to just completely shut down for 40 days to take money that was going towards one thing 
and take it to something else. To, to take money that was going towards defense and put it towards, towards feeding other people and possibly feeding enemies. And, and it's just such a, such a drastic and such a severe way of turning that, that maybe we don't even realize what's going on. But in response to this, God, God moves. God does something in verse 10. The last verse of this short chapter says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He threatened. So God kind of changes His mind here. God sees their actions, sees how much they've changed, and says, you know what, I'm not going to go through with it. I'm not going to go through with this. Because they've been obedient, I'm going to bring about compassion. I'm going to give them a second, a third, a fourth chance. Now, the obedience of Jonah, the obedience of, of, the, of the people of Nineveh, the obedience of the king, the obedience of the sailors in chapter 1, all of this leads to God doing something in their lives. And all of them had to arrive at the point where they were going to respond. They were going to be obedient. They had to make that decision. And they had to make that decision constantly. The king probably had multiple times through those 40 days where he thought about changing his mind. Jonah, on that two-week journey to Nineveh, had multiple opportunities to turn around and go home. Everyone has an opportunity to turn away from God. We all have the opportunity to say no. But when we're obedient, things happen. When we're obedient, God moves. But before they got that call, before they faced the God's call in their life, they had to answer one question. They had to answer one question that I think is in front of all of us as we choose to be obedient or we choose not to be obedient. Do we believe that God is good? Do we believe that God is good? Do we trust Him? Do we have faith in Him? Before we can be obedient, we have to arrive at this, this question and give an answer to it. Because God isn't simply interested in us going through the motions. God isn't interested in us just checking things off, just living a certain way, but not really living that way inwardly. God isn't interested in just our blind obedience. See, God is recruiting people for a movement. God is in the business of putting things back together. God is in the business of creating a new way to live, a new kingdom that we've never seen before. And so God is not specifically interested in our actions unless they flow out of a heart that's changed. And we have to first come to the point where we ask ourselves, is God good? And once we've answered that question, we can start to ask ourselves, what is God asking us to do? What is the call that God is putting in front of us? What is the thing, the task, the person, the whatever that God is putting in front of us that we're supposed to be agents of grace and love and truth to them? And we all have these people. And right now, I would imagine that many of us know exactly who that is, what that is, whatever it is. And because we resist it. Because we know it's going to be hard. It's going to be messy. Here in a moment, we're going to take communion. And communion was a way that it's a gift from God to to allow us to identify with Christ. On the last night that that Christ was alive on this earth, He got together with with a group of His closest friends and He had one last meal. But it wasn't really about the meal. It was about all the symbolism, all the meaning, all the truth buried underneath it. And this truth is very, very simple. The truth is, is that if we are not taking a life of following Christ, where we're dying to ourselves, where we're embracing the grace and truth that God gives us, 
that new life, then our lives don't matter very much. And so here in a moment, there's, there's going to be stations up front and there's a station in the back. And the music will be playing and you'll have an opportunity to, to respond. And if you're following Jesus Christ, we invite you to go to take a cup, to take a piece of bread. And at this point, this is, this is a time set apart where we can examine ourselves. We can ask ourselves, am I living a way, living a life that says that God is good? Am I living in obedience? Are there things in my life that are out of step? And so it might feel weird just to sit and think, even as the band is playing, even as I'm praying, to think about what this means. To identify with Jonah and realize that maybe you're being disobedient. To realize that there are some things in your life that don't say that God is good. And you need to process that. And you need to reconcile those things. Because in communion, we get to join together with the mission of Christ. We get to say, I'm a part of this. I'm on board. I want this new way of living. I want this new way of doing life. And and I want to be a part of that kingdom that God's bringing in. And so when I'm done praying, it's your time. It's your time between you and God to examine, to ask some questions, and to maybe think of yourself as Jonah. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we, we are disobedient. I am disobedient. There are, there are times in my life and there are times right now where I live in such a way that The message that I'm proclaiming with my actions does not say that you are good. And Lord, for those people in this room right now who who can't say, God, that you are good, who who have struggled, Lord, I pray that they would feel your presence and that they would come to understand that despite all the hardship we may face, that you are still a good God. And Father, as we take communion, as we reflect on the sacrifice that, that your Son, Jesus Christ, made on the cross, that the new life that He brought in with the resurrection, as we think about ways in which we can bring our lives more in line with that, I pray that the act of communion can be a way that we move towards You. And Father, as, as people around the room here in a moment get up and, and take the elements, well, we pray that this would be a moment dedicated to